All right. Welcome to another episode of the Science of Hitting podcast. Today, I have two returning guests for I don't even know how many times it's been now. Uh, crowd favorites, Sleepwell Cap, who writes a great Substack that you should be reading. He wrote up U-Haul a few months back, and it's been a very good pick so far. Still early, but been a very good pick so far. And secondly, Francisco Oliveira, Aravilo Capital. Did I say that right? Yeah. I'm always concerned if I'm saying it right. Um, as I said last time he was on, young guy, if you're someone who's looking for someone to manage your money long term, he is going to be doing big things over the course of the next couple of decades. So keep him in mind. Um, how are you guys doing? Everything's good. Alex. Thanks for having us again. Yep. So we're back to talk more Spotify. Um, this time it's easier, right? This time it's a little easier. I was telling, uh, I was telling Francisco, it's kind of funny. As some people know, they do the uh, the podcast episode after the earnings, where they kind of do an overview, and Eck will come on, the CEO and CFO will come on. And this episode started with them trying to pick what music to play to 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 show how strong of a quarter it was. And it's just funny to right. think how how different the uh, how different the start of the podcast was relative to the last two quarters, which have been a little bit rough, but maybe let's start there. What do you, what was your kind of high level takeaways from the quarter? Good, bad, whatever it may be. Why don't we start with you, Francisco? Yeah. You know, picking off that point, it's kind of funny how, you know, when management teams perform well versus when they don't, um, even if it's short-term stuff, short-term noise, their mood is definitely, you know, uh, a lot better, not a lot nicer. They feel more confident. But yeah, it was definitely a, a feel good and quarter foot for, for valid reasons. Monthly active users reaccelerated, particularly um, in the rest of the world, although North America still is very impressive, the, the performance that they're, that they're executing on there. And there were some, you know, there was a narrative and not a narrative, but really, you know, Spotify started the year putting out some monthly active user projections for the year and for the subsequent quarters. Each of the last, the first two quarters, they, they took that guidance down. So they were not performing to the level that they themselves thought. Um, towards the end of the, 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 the second quarter, they said that um, they basically were under, on a better path now, but the market, you know, didn't, uh, you know, they were calling that bluff. And essentially we've seen now that they have reaccelerated. It's encouraging because they, they launched a bunch of new markets, right? So they launched a lot of new markets after, uh, after the, the stream on event. And so you, after you launch, you know, I think 80 plus countries, you expect a, a nice uplift to, to monthly active users and that didn't arrive. Now you're starting to see those trends revert. So I think on the, I think that's the, the main headline really the the growth is returning back to to a nicer level, um, and and those podcasting initiatives are are working well. You know they have what is it now three point three million uh, podcasts are, yeah, are 2. around 2, that three point two three point two million podcasts up nicely from just the last quarter. Um, they they said for the second quarter in a row that podcast advertising revenue is up you know triple digits. We don't have the exact number and and advertising overall grew you know over seventy percent. Um, and we see those margins picking up nicely. We see the the premium uh, subscription gross margins also uh, growing nicely. 
And so a, lo- a lot of things to feel good about. And they still say that that podcasting is a drag on, on, on profitability. So if we're seeing all these engagement content, uh, you know, they added 100 uh, original podcasts to the platform. We see all those heading in the right direction, but we're not seeing any margin still uh, goes to show the upside that they have on their financials, but also on, on their growth path. Yeah, but you sleep anything else? I mean, that's yeah, pretty, I, pretty comprehensive. I mean, obviously, <laughs> very much agree with with everything that that Francisco. I agree with everything that that Francisco has been has been saying. I think maybe just to add a, a couple of things there, kind of more just under under the hood. Um, I thought it was it was really interesting that the revenues in in the U.S. Uh, accelerated meaningfully, especially compared to the same quarter last year. So if you if you look at that, it's it's around thirty one percent this quarter versus roughly 19 percent last year. So we we I think we saw a couple things playing to that, which partly which was uh, driven by by some of the price increases, but likely uh, the advertising is is mostly uh, being you know be, being deployed on on the U.S. and then you also have things like like marketplace. Uh, the reason why I think it's important to kind of follow that as a leading indicator is, is that most of their sort of initial tests take place in the U.S. So if that's any sort of sign of, of what can come in the, in the later stages, in, kind of in Europe and, and emerging markets, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty encouraging. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought that was, that, was a pretty, that was a pretty interesting, uh, you know, detail that, that, that kind of struck out to me. Yeah, quarterly. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to say, uh, piggy backing off of that quarterly uh, premium ARPU was positive for the first time. Then I think this, you know, since I can remember, I don't know, maybe since the company was public. Uh, so I think that was very noteworthy as well. Yeah, really tying those two points together that that both of you just made. You know, I, I told someone yesterday on Twitter that I had told Francisco a while back that. Spotify taking pricing in a, in a really competitive market like the U.S. would probably be the single most most bullish thing that I could think that they could do. And when I when I told him that, it, I think we had a discussion like, would it be two years from now, three years from now, longer? And it happened, you know, a handful of months later. Um, to Sleep's point, the numbers are really showing that their ability to take price and these these price increases so far are somewhat limited, so it should be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt. But you know, yeah. their ability to continue doing very well on the user side in light of those price increases for, for a product that many people view as uh, something of a commodity relative to what other competitors have in the marketplace. I think if you're bearish on a company like Spotify, you really need to think about what that means for your thesis. Um, the only other point I'd add is, yeah, the MAU growth obviously is a huge deal. Um, rest of the world reaccelerated, reaccelerated nicely after a pretty concerning Q2 in my mind. Obviously, it's only 90 days, but you know, them putting up, I think it was one or 2 million. I can't remember now, but 1 million sequential was 2 million sequential was a weak number, especially in light of the the stream on market launches. But now we have a little bit more color on what was happening in a place like India, seen a nice acceleration. You know, the guide for the back half of the year on MAUs puts them just short of 40 million, um, which, you know, even six months, 40 million uh, incremental on a base that's around 400. Obviously, that's really nice growth. The other thing that stood out about that number to me is if you comp it to the prior four years, 
the lift from first half to second half on MAUs was usually right around 50% and their seasonality in that number, obviously the lift this year from first half to second half is going to be closer to hundred percent. So this is, it's, it's just a very, a very nice recovery in the back half of the year. And one, we kind of need it obviously, because doing things on the product side is, is all well and good, but you need to keep growing top of funnel. So um, it was obviously very important to see that. Uh, let, let's dig into one of the major strategic initiatives, which is podcast. And we'll start on the user side. Uh, as Francisco said, number of podcasts on the platforms now at 3.2 million. It's doubled in the past 15 months. Number of users engaging with podcasts continues to grow. Per user engagement's up nicely. They said 20% year over year in Q3. So, you know, we're three years into this experiment and, and obviously it's already starting to bear fruit in a significant way. Um, how are you guys thinking about the company's success in podcasts and really the broader audio strategy? Why don't we start with you, Sleep? Yeah, so we we knew this already from a couple of, of reports that uh, came out, uh, I think a month or two ago, but this was the first time that the company acknowledged that they're the biggest podcast, podcast podcasting player in the US, as well as other 60 countries. And that's been verified by their own internal data as well as kind of independent research. So um, obviously that was kind of a nice victory lap that they that they took that I thought was was nice to nice to see. Um, as you mentioned, all these engagement trends and and sort of the percentage of of users that have been um, you know listening to podcasts is it's all very it's all very encouraging. I think that's something to definitely keep keep track of going going forward because it's it's one of the one of the main ways that they're going to be able to to increase gross margins um, and, and it's really the, the long-term thesis right so so that's one of the most uh, important metrics um, for me to for me to follow um, I think I thought I was it was very encouraging to see that the number of original and exclusives be be above a hundred I think they're they're above a thousand in total um, and it's important to keep in mind that over three quarters of these are outside the U.S. So, again, another kind of big similarity to, to Netflix. They're definitely uh, thinking globally. Um, they've called out a, a couple of very important countries in terms of of being really successful on the podcasting side. Um, India and Brazil being two notable kind of large population countries. Um, if you go and look at the at the podcasting charts in in the Spotify app for those countries specifically, you'll see that that a a, a good amount of of, of those top podcasts are by Spotify owned, owned studios or, or their exclusives. So um, I, th I think that's another thing to, to keep in, uh, you know, to keep in mind and, and kind of follow closely because it's, it's that it goes back to the flywheel, right? It's going to drive more engagement. It's going to, it's going to bring in new users. It's going to lower churn and, and, uh, and long-term, you know, it's, it's going to drive higher margins through not only pricing power that we, that we talked about, but also on the on the advertising side, which is we now saw that that it's really a big opportunity, and a lot of people have kind of started coming around to it, right? Yeah, I, I think it was really encouraging everything that they said, and 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 I think what's what's interesting about it is that there's been there's been a pretty long journey from them since 2019. How they keep adding pieces to incrementally improve, like first they. They just wanted the the level the amount of podcasts um, on the platform to be there. Just you know, starting an app and get getting people to to upload your content there is is not really uh, it, it is very difficult. It'd be almost impossible to start a new 
siloed podcasting app and, and compete with the likes of, of Spotify and Apple. So I think that's just, you know, really incredible how they executed there, but how they, they kept improving and adding features, how to make it easier for, for anchored podcasters to, to get advertisements and how to make it easier for them to, to create subscriptions and, you know, adding megaphone, creating a more catered, uh, you know, hosting service and advertising platform for, for bigger, bigger podcasting networks. Now, very interesting how they're, they're adding video more aggressively for creators to, to have on, on, on Spotify, which I think is a great compliment and, and, and really opens up the type of content that you can have on the platform. And in terms of, you know, basically making it more engaging, you know, Joe Rogan, they, they've said that the data of the amount of people watching the show on Spotify has been very, very encouraging. They, you know, D- Daniel Eck gave a, uh, an interview to, to Bloomberg last week. And I think it, that opens up, imagine, you know, there's a lot of like sports podcasts discussing games. Imagine if, if you have video, then you can draw up kind of a, basically the plays or show data that, you know, isn't, it's in people's faces. Um, and so it, it'll be something that competes a little bit more closely with, with YouTube potentially for the type of content. So just seeing all these incremental steps that they're making, seeing that they're making a big investment, they announced that they're hiring a lot more people on the advertising front outside of the U S um, this is a fixed cost nature business. It's still a drag on margins, but margins on the advertising side are, are improving. And that, you know, as we noted earlier, triple digit um, revenue growth for the second quarter in a row for podcasting. It's just very encouraging because you see the real upside of this execution. Let, let's stay there for a second. Let's stay on this supply side. Cause I think it's an, a really important part of the story. And it's one that I, don't think it's a, a ton of attention, at least not yet. And admittedly, someone like myself, I probably didn't give it enough attention when the deals were announced, but it's starting to become clearer. You know, Spotify is clearly very focused on building out the creator tools, you know, new announcements like video, interactive, um, as well as the monetization efforts for creators with things like subscriptions and advertising. And I thought a notable stat from the call uh, from CFO Paul Vogel was that over 80% of new podcasters on Spotify are using Anchor and they estimate that Anchor has about 50% market share across the podcast industry in terms of usage. So how are you guys thinking about these platforms, Anchor and Megaphone, and kind of how important are they to Spotify's business long-term? Um, I don't know which one of you wants to run with that, but feel free. Yeah, I can, I can start. I mean, the more I've come to understand how, how these how these platforms work, Megaphone and, and Anchor, the, I think I've come to appreciate more why, why it made so much sense for, for Spotify to, to buy them. Um, let's just take a step back and kind of define it because I don't, I don't think necessarily everyone will, will understand what they, what they are. But if you think about the podcasting business, similar to the, to the music business, um, you need sort of a, a middleman distribution platform to give your content to that's going to put it out there in all, in, in all the platforms, right? Because you have so many different players, um, Spotify, Apple podcast, Google podcast, but then you have YouTube and, and, and many other smaller players, right? So um, what Spotify did is, is first they bought Anchor, which was kind of the low tier um, entry level podcasting hosting platform. So anyone that kind of is, 
is just like a um, you know completely new to the podcasting world, but wants to put out a podcast is that's that's kind of what the target market is for for that side, um, for that business specifically. So it made a lot a lot of sense because you had you know this explosion in in creators that were you know kind of amateurs but really wanted to get into this business, and that's exactly the kind of platform that they're that they're using. But then on the other hand, like the complete other opposite side of the of the spectrum, you have Megaphone, which works um, with companies like you know, the Wall Street Journal that's producing all this different com- com- um, content and it's more kind of enterprise level has a lot of advertising um, technology that's, that, that runs with it, et cetera. So they're, they're pretty much capturing the, the entire market segment and uh, aggregating all the, all the content, uh, which is going to serve them really well to have as much inventory as they can for, 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 their, for their podcasting strategy. And you know, at the same time, they have their original and exclusives, which is, which is obviously captive, and and they're, they're gonna they're gonna fully sort of monetize and, and own that that advertising inventory. Um, so, I think it it makes a, a ton of sense. And something that's been interesting that I don't think many people would have expected is that we forget about music as a as an advertising business, but it's been benefiting from this as well. Like. They they called out music as as kind of reaccelerating and, and margins improving et cetera because as you build sort of a more scaled uh, advertising platform and you have a lot of more uh, inventory to to serve um, you you just become a lot more effective at it right so um, again I think that now that I kind of you know I understand these these two platforms better I think it makes it made so much sense for them for for them to buy them. Let me ask this in a little bit of a different way. I'm creating a, a podcast tomorrow, let's say. And as I, the stat I just read, was overwhelming percentage of people who are putting podcasts on Spotify are using something like Anchor. In terms of having video, interactive things, say I want to do polls with my listener, listeners, or I want to have subscriptions, or I want advertising on my product as it continues to grow. Is this really going to push me in a big way to want to have my audience be on Spotify as opposed to a different podcast player is that where this is heading i think i think so um i think the value proposition is think about it this way um you you listen to most podcasting podcasts in general um especially the bigger ones and they'll have a host red ad and it's very unlikely in in the percentage wise that that actually that's a revenue stream that Spotify is directly benefiting from. Um, they might be using a, d- a different advertising network. They might be doing it directly. They with you know, talking to advertisers, they all sorts of things, different middlemen um, that basically get that, that advertising revenue. I think what Spotify is trying to do is how to, we combine two a couple of things that they have inter, in, in their advantage, right? They have the streaming technology, which can add interactivity, video polls, questions, et cetera. And then getting all this inventory, especially the long tail, the startup podcasting inventory from, from Anchor, and then combining the, that with the technology that they have, their, their audience network, the streaming ad insertion, and then leveraging the, the inventory that they have is like, how can we benefit you, right? So they, they want to go to a podcaster and say, hey, um, you're in our hosting. Um, even if you, you're in our hosting, they, they can still use their own, their own advertising. But 
you're in our hosting now we can leverage our platform to help you monetize uh, advertising better particularly via spotify that doesn't mean that your podcast will be exclusive to spotify it'll still be on apple and other platforms but when you're on spotify and you're using our tools and you're leveraging all our, our tech and ad stack you'll be able to monetize those users at a higher rate and create more engaging users given the, the tools like um, polls that you mentioned. And a lot of these are starting to roll off. It'll take time. It'll, you know, maybe polls is not the thing that hits. Maybe it's, it's some other type of interactivity that you have with the user. But just improving all that and being kind of like vertically integrated, if, if you will, not fully because you don't necessarily have to own the podcast, but also you can see the benefits of having an own and control podcast where you put all these things together. Um, and it's, and it's a fixed cost on, on licensing or, or buying out studios. That's how I think Spotify really cracks this because again, the vast majority of ads that you might listen to that, you know, you might listen, you know, a New York Times daily, the, the very obviously successful and one of the top podcasts that advertising revenue, I'm pretty sure Spotify is not benefiting from, but how can you benefit the long tail, the, the, the big networks and co combining all these advantages that Spotify has. And I think that's what, you know, they, they're starting to show signs that they're really cracking that, but it's, it's a long road ahead still. Yeah. I think yeah, the one the thing part is real quick, Sorry, I was just uh, going to say the one thing, the one thing I think it was Francisco shared with me that I thought was interesting was one of these, you know, industry newsletters that we all read. Um, I think it basically implied that anchor was making it where if you're a tiny advert or a tiny podcaster, like this podcast, even those people would have the opportunity to start. They would just, you could basically just read or anchor ads would be inserted and that would be your way to start monetizing. And it's, it's just really interesting to see how they're finding a way to, to help the tail, to stimulate the tail even. And it's just a very interesting, it's very interesting to see how they're thinking about this long-term. And I, I clearly think it's the right thing to do. Sorry, go ahead, Sleep. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say that it's, uh, I mean, it's just to echo what, what Francisco was saying, because that's that part about the creators and, and sort of aggregating them is super important. But I think another big reason why creators are going to go to either of these platforms in terms of anchor or, or megaphone is because the other thing that Spotify is doing is they're aggregating uh, the the advertisers, which is the, the Spotify audience network, right? So they're they're taking all the podcasts from megaphone, all the podcasts from anchor, all the podcasts from their original exclusives, plus their their music advertising business, and they're kind of just piling all of that together and giving it to to advertisers so they can sort of target exactly what they what they what they want to want to want to sell specifically to you know a, a female in in florida that that likes you know louis vuitton or whatever like that that you can get really specific on on that and and that's something that no one has been able to to solve in podcasting and i would argue that spotify is probably the only one that's capable of just because of, of their of their scale it's going to be really hard to pull something like that off if you're not um if you don't have spotify's size and and kind of their their focus on, on, on advertising, which is why I would think, cool, um, sorry, so Apple would not really be able to, to figure out something, um, something like this. So, so that's, that part is, I think is also very important. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm still, you know, I'm still piecing a lot of this together, but as I hear 
as they start to understand more what's going on here, to me, it feels like something that if it works, it's a, it's just a game changer. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Well, we, we heard it. Daniel said it. I mean, we, this was, this wasn't the first time that they talk about us, but he basically reaffirmed that podcast. He has, he expects podcasts to be at least 20% of, of total revenues um, long-term, if not 30 or 40%. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. And he talked about TV being more like 50, 50, 50, right? So um, you, you can sort of play around with, with those numbers and, I can I can see just by kind of plugging plugging those numbers in how they can reach the high end of their gross margin target um, if they if they get anywhere close to those numbers right so yeah I thought it was interesting he said in the the for the record pod he basically said you know hey we've gone from I think the number they gave was two hundred thousand pods uh, three years ago to three point two million today and his comment was you know three point two million sounds like a lot but. That's that's nothing in terms of where we're going to get to long term. And yeah, um, I think if you if you think about this long term and think about what it's becoming, especially as the monetization gets there, um, you can understand how that will be proven correct. Anything else on that, Francisco? Or good? No, I, th- I think we we got all points. Let's talk about music a little bit um, and maybe sleep. Take this one. Um, maybe talk about some of the ongoing initiatives, you know, to improve the user experience, whether it's personalization on the platform or hi-fi, whatever it may be, um, as well as the efforts to improve the economics on that side of the business with, with these offerings like marquee and discovery mode and the like. Yeah, for sure. So we, we saw a couple of, you know, product in- introductions on the, on the personalization front, um, one being um, what they call enhanced playlists that let, lets you kind of, if you already created your own playlist, you can sort of give it to the algorithm and, and let it add their your, um, songs based off of, of your taste. So that's, it looks like people um, really like that, that introduction. Um, on, the, on the Hi-Fi, I was somewhat disappointed that we still haven't seen that, that being introduced yet. Um, it's been, I mean, it's been almost nine months now since they announced it in, in, the, in the Stream On event. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see when, that, um, when that comes. Um, originally, we, we we heard it was going to be a higher price tier. Um, but then from, from what I recall, Amazon and Apple are kind of offering it as a, as a basic kind of just, you know, just throwing it in there as an additional feature to their already standard subscription service. So, so we'll see if they end up kind of doing the same thing or, or putting it on, on top of their, of their offering, which would be nice because they would, it would at least show that they, they think they can take price from, from that side of the market as well. So um, that's that's going to be interesting interesting to follow. Um, I, th- I think we saw again, you know, kind of good good progress on the on the two sided marketplace, both with Marquee and, and Discovery Mode. Um, just to remind everyone, these are basically the, the sponsorship tools that they're giving to labels and, and distributors, where where you you can either um, pay to have your new release uh, featured on on as a pop up on the on the app. Or put it, um, um, have the algorithm pick your song, um, kind of on a promotional, uh, on a promotional period, and if it gets kind of traction and, and gets played, you'll you'll in return pay a lower a lower royalty for for that uh, for that song because you're you're promoting it essentially. So, it was called out as a as a, a create you know a creative to to gross margins. Uh, we still don't know how how big it is, and it, you know it's it's still in sort of limited release in in a couple of markets, but. 
I think it's it's part of the of the strategy going forward in terms of how they're going to work with with labels and and trying to see how how they can monetize. Um, you know, it's for me, it's not about sort of being tough with labels and trying to negotiate lower payouts. For me, it's kind of how to bring some of the expenses of labels onto their PNL, which is exactly what, what they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that how that progress is going going forward. I thought a little kind of interesting tidbit we, we saw on the on the on the SEC filing that was not on the press release was that they sold um, two thirds of the of the equity stake that they had on a distributor called uh, DistroKid. Um, I think they bought this a couple of years ago. The, I mean, the investment went very well. It was it was pretty small though, but I would have, you know, kind of just some questions for, for management in terms of what their strategy is going forward for this part of the, of the independent market, because it is one third of the market. It is the part of the market that you're not dealing with big labels. So it, it's really a, a place in the in the music side where Spotify can make a difference long term, and um, you know, kind of find ways to give tools to to these to these smaller artists um, to to get noticed, while at the same time, sort of you know, being able to to monetize that in in, in better ways. So, I would uh, I I would really like to see what kind of an update of, of what their strategy is on the on that side of the business as well. If you had to speculate, why do you is is this just showing that their focus is shifting to podcasts? Do you think that's what, what's happening here? Or, or why, do you, why do you think they would, I mean, obviously it's, it's relatively small in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. The, the only other thing I, I would mention is, is that they also sold another kind of music-related uh, uh, company called Sound Better, which was a marketplace to, to find, you know, kind of producers, sound engineers, um, uh, violin player, like literally anything. If you have a musical project, you'd go to that side and 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 find who you can work with. So that's the second, you know, kind of uh, signal that we've seen that they're sort of stepping away from this, uh, you know, tools to be offered to these to these smaller artists. So it doesn't look good on on paper, but that's not necessarily to say that that they're going to be ignoring this um, completely. I think at at some point they're going to be in a really good position to be able to. Um, pull off doing something something big um, similar to what they did in, in, in podcasting where they bought the, the distributor um, they could probably do something like that on the on the music side eventually and likely get very little push from the from the labels because the labels are not really targeting that part of the market right so we'll see it's all speculative at the end of the day but uh, again I would just really like to hear a little bit more about management um, in in terms of what their music overall strategy is, because I do, I mean, I think we can all agree that the the focus right now is very much on the podcasting side, which I think makes sense. I mean, this is still a relatively small company, and it's hard to kind of just uh, you know fight two battles at the same time, going in one hundred percent. But um, but yeah, just something to keep in mind going forward for me. You know, Any what I would say, Francisco? On, yeah, I think what I would say on that is that. You know, I agree. It it does seem, you know, at, at a big level that they don't want to necessarily be in the in the business with, which kind of sounds funny, but with dealing with with music creators directly, um, but but also giving everything to to serve the labels, big and small, um, particularly the smaller labels, as as helpful as possible. 
because like you said, they, you know, they, they cited the, the two-sided marketplace and those features, how the users that have used them seen noticeable uplift in engagement and on, on the music. And that's brought in more customers um, and artists to use those services. And there is signs that, that is, you know, they're calling it out, but there are signs that that's, ver that's working very nicely. We see LTM, um, premium gross margins, which is more directly related to music, have, have been growing um, nicely, nearly, uh, I think, nearly 100 bips I, quarterly. Uh, this quarter's premium subscriber gross margin was a little 29.1% compared to Q3 last year, which was 27.3%. And I don't think there's been um, any big major label deal recently. They were all basically signed uh, more than a year ago, re-upped um, and some further down. So you're seeing just incremental improvements in, you know, we're growing fast and labels are benefiting and not only subscriptions, but in advertising, but we're also taking a little bit more margin. Um, and that's probably to do with, with, you know, they've, they've understood that this is not a game where you can just destroy someone in a negotiation, the labels, they have to be friendly with each other. And maybe the labels didn't like them owning distro kid and then owning, um, the other, the other kind of creator tools. And, you know, maybe they're more in the, uh, catering to, to mid and, and big size labels. And, and if they can, uh, still benefit from that relationship and gain the margin. And, it, and it's shown um, that they've been slowly but steadily improving margins there um, with no signs of like music engagement um, going down. I think when, you know, Universal Music Group reported earnings the other day and they cited Spotify as, you know, a big growth driver um, in terms of all the music being uploaded and, and, and when you look at artist rankings and whatnot, they 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 cited Spotify, so they're preserving that relationship, but but gaining benefits. And I think they're they're it's it's a really huge balancing act, and I think they're doing it pretty well and showing in the numbers, but also in what management's saying. Yeah, I think it's just a great point on those numbers. Um, if I remember correctly, trailing twelve month premium gross margins were a tick above 29%. I think that's right. Yeah. 29.2. Um, first, yeah. first time they got above, above 29. Um, you know, obviously you can, people can go listen or read the discussion on advertising and think about where that's going long-term and, and a bunch of these other initiatives, but you know, we're at 29 on premium right now without any label negotiations, as you said, you know, people should think long and hard about how that compares to this long-term 30 to 40 target. I, th I think you're starting to get line of, and it's, it's, you know, we had a huge step up um, at the time of the listing because those those deals were renegotiated fairly significantly. It's been more of a fight to get the margin over the last couple of years, but it's been pretty persistent in terms of the the improvement in premium gross margin. Um, and I I just think as you think about all the things they're doing, which most of it is just upside to to what that trend already is. I I just think you really have line of sight to getting to thirty and potentially quite a bit higher. Um, you know, one thing, a quick one real quick, which I, I always struggle with how to think about these um, in terms of capital allocation. The company announced a repurchase authorization. I think it was for a billion dollars or maybe it was a billion euros. Um, they bought back some stock in the quarter. It, it was a tiny amount, but 
the price they bought back looks pretty good. I, obviously, it's only been you know two months or whatever. But any any thoughts on the decision to announce that or or what it means for the investment thesis? I mean, on my end, I didn't obviously love the the amount. I wish it would have been much higher. And obviously, <laughs> inside is twenty twenty. Now that we're, I mean, just above three hundred. But you know, it, it's encouraging to at least realize that it seems like they're pretty disciplined on the price, right? They paid, I think it was 220, um, 220 per average price for, for the, for the quarter, which is, it's, it's a pretty low price. So, um, they're pretty, I'm guessing they're, they're pretty cognizant of, of what, what means good value for, for that, but it's also a pretty long-term buyback program. I think it expires in 2026 or something like that. So, you know, they're still, we know they're still prioritizing growth above everything else. Um, We'll see how, how it is going forward, but this is the second time they've done a buyback, and and the last one was uh, was I think it was it was a bigger buyback than than this one in terms of the amount that was that was deployed, but again the price back then I think was like one forty or something like that. So they they're they're pretty disciplined on price it seems. You know, in, in terms of capital allocation, I, I think this is one of the more disciplined companies on in terms of of, of capital allocation that that I honestly follow. Um, it's a company that whose EBIT margins are, you know, fairly flattish. It's uh, basically very low amount of, of, of EBIT. Um, in terms of free cash flow, they generate free cash flow, but it's not like they're printing billions of dollars, right? A couple hundred million dollars here or there on an annual basis. At the same time, um, it's, a, it's a company that, that has kept pushing um, R&D spend, has kept pushing in terms of have, have, they haven't been afraid to, to you know, buy megaphone. I think megaphone was a couple hundred, maybe three hundred million dollars. Like three hundred, I think. Yeah, three hundred million dollars. Um, you know, buying the rights to to Joe Rogan, um, purchasing the Ringer, um, and keep pushing that investment while still balancing R and D needs, while still um, doing all these things, and and actually eking out a little bit of margin and a little bit of profit, and you know, they, they basically didn't have any debt. Now they have an exchangeable bond, which is, is fairly attractive. It's, it's a five zero percent too, right? <laughs> it's zero percent. It's, it's yeah, it's zero percent, but, but there's a strike price yeah. around 70% above today's price. So essentially they don't pay any interest. Um, as long as the stock price is, is, is below, I think 515 or, or, or around there presumably is going to be above there within, within five years, but um, you know, you can refinance that uh, with cash. So it's a, it's a fairly attractive um, instrument that, that they've used. So they have uh, a bunch of cash on, on their balance sheet. You see that they're making those divestments. They're not doing those divestments that you mentioned earlier sleep uh, randomly is my guess. I think they're you know, very, being very thoughtful about those divestments. And yeah, they announced that 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 buyback authorization, and you know, basically the day an announcement, the 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 stock I think reaches is is year to date low or, or very near there, and has picked up, and they just basically purchased like thirty million euros. So it would have been nicer if they were more aggressive, but maybe they they were being opportunistic. It's very hard to to know exactly why they didn't really. They didn't take more advantage of that, but I just think they're, they're very disciplined, and it's it's yeah. been very seeing them manage 
investments in the business, in the product, in the user experience, these podcasting acquisitions, improving all aspects of the business, um, these acquisitions, um, given that they, they still have a very, very low margin model um, that we, I think all of us here see the pathway, especially when we discussed, you know, premium margins going up and we discussed how the advertising um, side of the business has extremely high upside in terms of margin profile. We see that path, but they have to manage today based on a low margin business. So I think they're very, very disciplined um, and every move that they make is that that's of scale in terms of allocating capital is very noteworthy. So um, unfortunately, you know, they, they didn't, you know, buy a couple hundred million dollars of stock when the stock was uh, nearly at $200. But I mean, well, that's life, I guess, sometimes. I have a, I have a slightly different take and well, two points, one of them serious. One of them is somewhat joking. The first one is the serious one, which is, I don't really have a problem with the company at this stage in its life cycle doing something like this. I think what you normally see though, is it tends to be pretty immaterial. Um, And my concern comes in management, just keeping their eye on the prize and really focusing on growing this business and reaching their long-term objectives and, you know, maintaining some financial flexibility is part of that. And obviously spending 30 million euros is in no way going to impede, impede that vision. But I, I just sometimes feel like it's unnecessary and it's a little nitpicky of me to say that it's just something that I think sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I also do worry, I don't think they're doing this in any way, but I do worry about companies that do these things as a sort of signal in some way, um, that I just, it gets a little bit too stock markety for me. Um, but so I don't think any of that's happening here, but it's just one of the things that comes in my mind. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if this company is worth a lot more than its current valuation, you know, buying a billion dollars of stock over five years, whatever it may be, is basically a rounding error. So it's irrelevant. So I just think about that at times. The second point um, is, as Francisco knows, I was finishing up a write-up to send to my subs to say I was increasing my allocation to spot pretty significantly. Uh, the day of, I think, I think I was sending it out on a Monday and they announced it on a Friday. Maybe those days are off a little bit, but they announced this buyback and then the stock went up, stock went up, stock went up like 10% on the news. And um, yeah, I didn't like that they did that. <laughs> I don't think they knew that I was going to tell my subscribers I was buying more, but I don't like when the stock goes up 10% the day before I'm going to buy more. So, um, <laughs> but anyways, but, yeah. but at least, I mean, this, this is short-term stuff, but you sure, still sure. bought, and had you not, you know, made that purchase, uh, look where we are now. So, yeah, well, you know, Thankfully, I've, I've learned a few things over the years in investing, and that's one of them, to not let uh, these, these little tiny moves impede you from yeah. making big decisions one way or the other. Just to, sometimes you just got to swallow a five or, or even a 10% of move yeah. against you. And that's like that's kind of the, I can't remember what the term is, but that's kind of the law of investing. Like when you decide you're going to buy something and then you don't buy it at that moment, moment you're like, oh, I'm going to wait three days. It's inevitable the stock price will move against you. It seems like yeah. that happens every single time. So yeah. It's on me at the end of the day. Um, let's uh, two more questions. And these are a little bit bigger than the capital allocation, uh, capital allocation question. Let's just talk about the broader investment thesis. And I guess the way I'll frame this is, you know, how is your confidence level in the long-term vision, management's long-term vision, this goal of becoming the global leader in audio streaming? Ha- has that changed at all in the past few quarters, your confidence level? And maybe, maybe you start, Francisco. You know, it, it hasn't. Um, 
I think they're the the undisputed leader, right, in, in the focused audio platform. Um, we see that even with, you know, you have, like to your point earlier, Alex, you have a quarter, the second quarter, where rest of the world monthly active user growth is honestly concerning, especially given that they just onboarded like 80 plus countries um, in, you know, a very short period of time. And, but now you see a reacceleration of that. And I think something Daniel X said on the call is basically like, look, you know, every market's different. Every market's not like the US or Europe. Um, you have to approach the customer acquisition process differently depending on the market. And we've learned to adjust our strategy to reaccelerate growth. They are always focused on growth. And they talked about, um, Southeast Asia now, how they're really working to really accelerate that. He's like, look, I'm 100% sure we're going to crack this market. We're always testing, adjusting, and optimizing basically their, their model, just not only on their, the, the service itself, but on the customer acquisition process, what's the best value proposition for the user to reignite growth. So I think when you hear comments like that, it's just, you know, obviously a management team that's very very confident in their ability, but also, you know, this is not a new business. They, they've been at this for, for decades and, and they've had, they've had no growth periods, um, slow growth periods, high growth periods, many new market launches, and they keep learning. So I think that's, that's the thing I think is, is, is super encouraging. Um, and they're juggling a lot of, a, a lot of balls at the same time. But they're they're proving that that they have an ability an ability to execute and and to stay tight on the vision and adjust when accordingly. There was a lot of hype about Clubhouse and everything at the beginning of the year. They made a small acquisition there. They renamed it Spotify Green Room. I don't think it's gotten a huge uptake, but I think they've learned a lot from it. And there's now uh, speculation and reports that they're going to integrate live into the app. Just the point is that they're always willing to adjust, always willing to to see what works to, to further improve the value of our proposition and growth. And I, th I think that's my biggest takeaway that uh, it's very encouraging that, you know, it hasn't, my view to your question, hasn't really changed on, on that being the value, the audio service of the world, the top one. Yeah, I think same, I mean, same for me. This is in, in large part, um, my investment thesis lies on 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 the quality of management in 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 on this company specifically. So, I'm I mean I admire them very much, but at the same time I want to be sort of you know measuring them um, both a quarterly basis, but kind of keeping that that long term mindset. And I mean if we look at this year, I always think about kind of three KPIs for for, for the company: um, user growth, engagement, and and oh shit, what was the other uh, user growth um, and engagement and innovation? Yes, yeah, so so I thought, if, I thought, if I I thought number those... three, I thought number three was the stock price going up. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, bl I blanked out there for a second, but yeah, like if you think about those three this this year, obviously, user growth, we had kind of those two quarters, um, that that came in below and 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 obviously drove a lot of the stock price. Um, during during that that time, but now we're now we're back on track, and I think it's it's very encouraging both on the MAU side, but but also on the on the premium subscriber side, and just across all the all the regions. 
Um, the markets that are being called out are, are very big markets in terms of population and, and the potential, especially India. Um, the engagement sort of metrics that we that we get on on the calls have all been really encouraging, especially on the on the podcasting on the podcasting side. Um, and then finally, on the on the product innovation, it's it's really just about kind of keeping track of all these little announcements that that they that they're giving out every. <laughs> it's almost on a weekly basis now. But Daniel talked about this on the call, right? When he when he said about uh, the importance of. Of, uh, of velocity, right? Because all these little things are going to really add up and, and end up being a, a pretty substantial moat, um, especially as it relates to, to all these competitors that are, that are in this market that are in many ways much bigger than them in terms of, of the size of these companies, right? But by all measures or by most measures, Spotify is, is winning against them in, in most of these markets. So um, that's kind of what I, what I like to, to focus on going forward. And and um, as long as they keep executing, I mean, I'm, I'm in for the ride. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm uh, probably incrementally, but maybe even significantly more positive on the long-term story than I was even six months ago. And some of that is, some of that is just me getting up to speed on things that are important that people like yourselves probably already understood. Um, some of these, like the podcast creator tools being an example. Um, other things are just incremental data points. The, the hundred plus ONE pods this quarter is a massive number in my mind. And it, it's just, it's, it's starting to appreciate how, you know, something I've talked about a lot early on since I first invested in the company, this idea of scale plus engagement advantages and what that really means for the business. And I think this long tail, you know, paying up for a Joe Rogan or whatever it may be, other people will compete with them in that game. But as I think, as they go further out on the tail in O&E, I think you start to get to a place where things that they do make sense in a way that'll be harder for others to justify to the extent they're even looking or care to try to compete there, which I, I think there are even questions about how, how much of that will follow at some of these bigger competitors that in my mind just don't really have their eye on the ball in the same way. Um, so yeah, and there's other data points like the pricing, you know, random news reports about them being, uh, I don't know if they were voted best employer something along those yeah. you know, things, just the, even small things like that. It just gives me incremental confidence in this management team, their vision, their ability to, to test and iterate and execute over time. And as I've said many times before, certainly everything will not work, but testing is what leads, you know, it's the Jeff Bezos thing, you know, there, you can hit a, yeah. you can hit a thousand run home run in, in business and you don't have that in uh you have to be able to willing to take risks and be willing to have things that miss in order to do that. But when you find something like it looks like they're finding in podcasts, it is going to be massive if they actually succeed. So I'm yeah. definitely, I'm a little bit more, more positive even than I was, you know, I first wrote it up in April of 21. So I'm even more positive than I was even then. So yeah. Um, final question for you guys, what aspects of the Spotify story do you believe are, are quite important, but that do not receive enough attention or even any attention from the investment community. And I guess you can take that uh, bullish or bearish if you'd like. Why don't you start us off, Sleep? Yeah, well, I, we probably, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I think the the Spotify audience network is is, is not really, doesn't really get enough uh, attention. And we, I mean, we, we explained this already, but in many ways, if they, pull off the vision as they kind of intended to do, it's pretty much going to be the, the, the Google of, of audio browsing, right? So it's going to, it's going to be a very big deal. And, and 
and if if that kind of you know bull case takes place that's how they get to 40 percent plus of, of advertising um being being part of, of the total total revenues right so um and, and at a higher margin so that's i think that's a very very big opportunity that that we need to follow follow closely and it, it's kind of hard to grasp your mind around it because they're just kind of inventing this as we go. And there's not many um, real comparisons to it in, 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 te in technology, at least not kind of on an apples to apples basis. So, so that's one part that I think doesn't, that doesn't get um, nearly enough, enough attention. There's other kind of little initiatives that I, I want to keep following closely um, as, as well. Um, live being one of them, Francisco talked about, uh, about Green Room. Um, I want to see what what that uh, integration looks like, um, and how serious they end up making it in in terms of of how it how it comes into the into the app. Um, if you think about sort of the the prime real estate of the Spotify app um, being the the lower three buttons that are, that are that that you know that sit there. Um, I mean, there's still space to add another one there, and Twitter just did that with with Spaces. So. Those kind of little things, we'll, we'll see how how that how that plays out, and then and also the video, the video portion, I think is going to be really interesting to to follow. Um, so I think that that those three are what I think I'll be focusing on on the next two months and kind of just following. You know, I think the I agree with sleep actually, I, um, particularly on live and video, how those can, you know, very. There's some discussion, but but not enough, in my opinion, because the upside of if you really if you really crack those two things, the upside of engagement and new forms of like creativity and, and types of content that can be on the platform, there's just a lot of upside there. The other thing that I think uh, it is discussed, but I'm not sure people realize the impact of is this target of a billion users that access. And I think the first time that Daniel X says that he wants a billion monthly active users must have been two or three years ago when they were maybe plus or minus around 200 million monthly active users. And it kind of, and actually, I didn't own the stock at the time, but when he said that the first time, and even the CFO re reiterated in, in subsequent kind of like Wall Street conferences, I thought, I thought that was a little bit bizarre um, if, if I'm, in all honestly, it was probably why I didn't all the stock at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> and now you're seeing them like look, they were they, they started 2020 with less than 250 monthly active users. Um, they're now gonna be over 400 million by the end of this year. They can easily be, you know, approaching um 500 million. Yeah, like 475 Maybe. is probably going to be the, the guide or something. No, no, yeah. no. but I was going to say they could be, you know, easily at 500 million in, in, in maybe two years, right? Um, or, or getting very close and, you know, at a minimum. And when, so now I truly believe there, there is a path to a billion monthly active users. And when you think about what, what is this business at a billion monthly active users, what's the type of content people are engaging with? What's the advertising revenue? How big are they are in certain markets? Um, what type of podcast O&E do you have? How's the advertising uh, revenue and, and margins? What are other things that they can do? You start to think about there is massive 
upside in in terms of the financial um, profile of the business at that scale. They still have to execute incredibly well to get a billion monthly active users are only going to be at 400 million by the end of this year. But I think that to me is, is, is so huge um, because it, it really drives everything else. So, and I think that's what's, it, it is underappreciated as, you know, especially when the stock was, was down over 30% year to date um, because two quarters underperformed. Yeah. I think, you know, in terms of, the size of the opportunity. I, I, I think as you guys both said, well, like just podcasts slash creators in general, this is going to become a massive opportunity. And then I think even about what management has kind of been saying here lately, which is this idea that terrestrial radio still has massive listening slash advertising share in a market like the U S. So there's just such huge opportunities over time. I think my biggest thing is really zooming out and thinking about the fact, you know, I think, we're right around the 10 year anniversary of when Spotify launched in the United States. And you think about what that company was at that point and who their competitors were. And just think about what played out subsequently over the next 10 years. And I just, I just stop and think about where this company's positioned today relative to those competitors and what that's likely to look like over the next decade. And I'm just incredibly confident that with this management team, with this leadership position in the industry, with this ability to test and execute, I just think they're going to be able to go places that are, you know, just mind blowing. Um, what's the the name of the one article I wrote about valuations for like these compounder slash high flying businesses? I, I don't defend this logic. It, it, it's just this idea that I don't know what a lot of these things will be or how big they will become, but I'm very confident that if they achieve this goal of a billion global users and they're a true leader in audio, this is going to be a massive business. So I don't well know if you guys said. have anything Agreed. else. If Great not, we, ended. <laughs> we can close it up. Sleepwell.substack.com. Name on Twitter is at sleepwellcap. And of course, Francisco Oliveira at Franco Oliveira. Gentlemen, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Alex. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thank you. See you later. All right. Bye, everybody.